follow. Maybe you've been in a situation and heard this. I'm not in charge here. Last week, our family pulled onto the ramp from Broad Street on the 72, and we had to stop at the entrance. People were slowly merging in through the construction down to one lane, and the turn lane has been torn up and is being repaved, and I asked Brian, why didn't they get this going while everyone was sheltering in place? There was hardly any traffic. Seems like road construction would be kind of essential during that time. And he replied, I don't know. I'm not in charge here. Which is code. It's code for, I take no responsibility for the situation you are describing. But as Southerners, we use this phrase in a slightly more focused way. We use it for situations we don't agree with. Say you walk into the fellowship hall for a potluck, when one day we could have one of those, and discover that someone has arranged the tables around the outside of the room instead of down the middle, like we always do. And whoever comes in behind you asks, why did they put the tables there? We'll only be able to get food on one side. The line will take forever. And you reply, I'm not in charge. This means, this is a horrible idea, but I don't know who did it, and I'm not going to step out and criticize until I know more. I'm not in charge here. It defers responsibility. It's not my problem. Someone has messed up. This is going to cause issues, dysfunction, delays, but none of that is my problem because I'm not in charge here. I'm not in charge here. It's Southern for they are doing it wrong. Now this phrase has a close cousin and it's one of my favorites. They didn't ask me. This one can be said almost triumphantly. There is an insinuation that if only they had asked me, we wouldn't be in this mess. If they had asked me, I could have fixed it. I could have told them how to do it. So there we are in line at the potluck, and the line is inching forward, you and I. We've discussed our families, and the weather, and the ambiguity surrounding local sports team and a pandemic. And we're nearly out of conversation topics because the line is inching along. It's getting awkward. And then a thing happens that is common to people everywhere. We bond over someone else's failure. Can hardly believe how slow this line is moving. I know. Been to a million potlucks and never seen a line like this. Well, I'm not in charge here, but I can tell you it's those tables and how they're set up. You're right, it is the tables right against the wall. I could have told them it would never work, but they never asked me. Frankly, I use this line a lot. Clearly, I think that if more people invited my opinion in their lives, in the life of the community, 
you're the one in charge. Because someone in our hypothetical scenario of our potluck dinner thought that putting the tables against the wall was a good idea. Maybe it lets us sit together or the acoustics are better. They thought it was fabulous. So here we are watching the chicken get cold because the line is so long and evidently everybody present knew this would never work. I once caught a friend of mine saying they never asked me when they had in fact asked her. We were an undergrad, I'll never forget it. My church small room had planned a fellowship event. The leaders had chosen rock climbing. So there we were, and my friend, she loves rock climbing. She was on the leadership team, and this had in fact been her idea. But now, standing next to Kyle, who had recently broken his thumb, and so was watching dejectedly from the side, I heard her say, I'm sorry, Kyle. We should have chosen something different. They never asked me. Besides lying as a Christian, which is never a good idea, there's a deeper issue here. It doesn't fit with Christian leadership. Christian leadership is not about who gets credit or who gets blamed for whatever decisions are made. Peter says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Not warning it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Not warning it over others is the same warning that Jesus gives when two of his disciples are arguing over who is the best. Clearly, to Jesus, this matters. Instead of lording it over others, Jesus tells us to be servants. And the world being in charge means that you get to tell other people what to do. But in charge, it means you look out for them. Peter contrasts lording it over others with being an example. You don't just tell others what to do. Being in charge, being an elder means being an example. It's why Christian leadership comes with a moral expectation. We do not care if you can make right decisions unless you can also model right decisions. Christian leaders are to be examples to the flock. And it's is contrasted with those who are younger. Those who are younger are supposed to submit themselves to their elders. It's not just submission, it's imitation. The elder is called to be a pattern that others can follow. And those younger are called to follow the pattern. It's the same thing that Paul says in Philippians. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Observe those who live according to the example you have in us. Paul's focus is living in a way that other people can imitate. And then in Romans, Paul gives thanks to God because although these believers were once slaves of sin, now they become obedient from the heart to the pattern of teaching to which they were committed. They're following 
she thought they didn't ask me got her off the hook. But Christian leadership is not about blame. It isn't about lording it over others. It's about serving, providing a model, a pattern worthy of imitation. To those who are younger, submit to those who are older. The elders set a pattern for imitation that isn't just in someone's personal life, but the elders of our church are tasked with making this institution, our week-to-week -week schedule, our mission, our activities, a pattern to be imitated. Because our goal isn't just for you and me and everyone to act like ourselves. The church is not a backward-facing institution. We are pursuing a goal. We are pursuing Christ. I don't want to imitate who I've been. Don't be limited to my understanding of Jesus. Which is why we trust leaders to make decisions. We nominate and elect them, and trust them to guide the church, to turn it into a pattern that will form us all to be more like Christ, to build God's kingdom. We trust them to be wise, to give voice to all people, to listen intently, and make the best decision with all the information and all people in mind. It is the Presbyterian way to choose presbyters and then to trust them, to submit to them. And it's hard to submit to a pattern. I speak from experience. It can almost feel un-American at times, but nothing is more American than American football. And the great coaches will tell you greatness comes from learning the basics first and imitating the greatness. I imagine that there has been a time or two over the last two months that you have not agreed with every decision we have made as a church. I'm going to bet that you said I'm not in charge here or they didn't ask me. And I'm going to bet that there is a 100% chance you will disagree with something regarding this church in the future. And that's okay. Disagreeing is good. But we disagree with humility. Disagree but are willing to heed the advice of our elders. Disagree even tell us why. Then, together, we follow the example of our leaders. You see, the Christian life is this cycle. It's a cycle of having an elder over you, and you submit to their pattern and imitate them, and there is someone younger than you who knows less about Christ, and it is your holy responsibility to be a pattern-worthy of imitation. As Christians, we always need both an elder to submit to, someone younger that learns. 
be a pattern worth following.